The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. It is incredibly encouraging and inspiring when I'm around and see folks like Shannon and the team that gets together every Monday and Tuesday and uh, to see folks come and are passionate and even to see our teenagers. That um, Bible study was started uh, by uh, Shannon's daughter uh, over at the school and it has grown and expanded because it's student-led. She can invite Tim uh, to come over there and share the gospel and to teach. And so we're having an impact for Jesus Christ to see lives transformed beginning right here. And so the passage of scripture that we're going to use this morning it informs what we do. We don't want to say we just have a serve ministry because we think that it's important for a church to have a serve ministry. Every ministry that we have needs to be and is rooted and founded in scriptural mandate. And if it wasn't, and if it's not, then we have to assess that ministry and see why we're doing it at all. It may be incredibly successful as far as numeric uh, go. But if it's not accomplishing what God has specifically given us to do, then we don't need to do it. But serve fits perfectly into the task that Christ has given us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read uh, from Acts chapter 1. That's going to be our launching point for the next three weeks. We're going to add some other passages to that uh, this morning. But if you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 1 as we get a picture of the mission that God has given us, uh, the example that He has given to us, and the power uh, that He has given to us. So this is the Word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And picking up in a similar language of that event, Uh, In Matthew's uh, gospel, you you see at the end there in Matthew chapter 28, says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The writer Luke of Luke's gospel and of Acts wrote at the end of Luke's gospel a picture of this same event. In Luke 24, when he said, 
And Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. And so we come to this ministry of serving in Jesus' name. And we come to this ministry, and it's important to recognize the three things that I mentioned to you earlier. That our mission is from Christ, that our example is from Christ, and that our power is from Christ. There's two repetitive words within those three statements. One is our, that it is our ministry, that it's a collective whole, uh, that we own this ministry. It has uh, us involved. This isn't somebody else's ministry. This is our ministry. That is, as a kingdom citizen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer, as a Christian, this is ours. And then we see the repetitive nature of the word Christ, that Christ is the source of all of this that it comes from him, that it was exemplified by him, and it is now empowered through him for us. And so we recognize first that our mission is from Christ. Jesus said there in these three passages, go. He said, you go. Go into all the world. Begin, as it were, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and, and then move out. But it is an active ministry. That word in Matthew is in the present uh, participle. It is as you are going. It is a continual action of something that you are already engaged in. As you are going about your daily life, go with this mission in mind. Recognize that you are my witnesses. Recognize that you are my evangelists. Recognize that you are the ones serving in my name. That as you go about your daily life, where you live, where you go to school, where you work, where you recreate, recognizing that in every one of those venues, every one of those spheres of influence, you go with a mandate from Christ, that there is an activity to this, that the Christian life and the church are not for spectators. It's not a spectator sport. It's, it's important to go and to use your muscles, to go and to do these things. Lisa and I just joined the rec center. It's all brand new, and there was a great deal on it. And I made the mistake of standing in front of some new fancy machine that took a picture of me doing a simple squat. And it was going to analyze me. And the guy, of course, Mr. Buff, who showed Lisa and me uh, the machine, he scored like a 60-something or 70. And then he said, well, my girlfriend, she scored almost an 80, like a 73 or something like that. Lisa got up and scored a good score. I got up and got a 30. He goes, you need to get going. And I was like, I do. That's why I'm joining this thing. Because I'm, I'm loose here and tight here. I'm supposed to be tight here and loose here. That usually helps in life. 
but it's because I don't go a lot in exercise. And life, any life, is not sedentary. It is to be active. The Christian life is no different. We aren't to sit on the couch and watch. We're not to sit in our chairs and sit soaking sour. You're not just to sit there, soak it all in, and then sourpuss around uh, every single day with it. But we're to be squeezed out, that we're to go into the world. And then we ask the question, where are we supposed to go? He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, start where you are. So folks, here's the easy part of this. We're not asking you to go to Africa. Actually, we are. It's in April. It's a wonderful trip. I'm going on it uh, with Dr. Frank Imbarato and a wonderful group. Uh, but uh, what we're really saying is start where you are. Jesus didn't start with the graduate level. He started with remedial mission 101. And he said, guess what I know about every single person in the world? They're somewhere. They have a vicinity. They have a group of people that they influence. They have a family that they're in. They have a neighborhood that they're in. They have a school that they're in. They have a community uh, around them. They have the low country. They have these things. They start there. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, start where you are. So maybe the first thing that you need to do is not say, oh, a missionary, he's some person or she's some person that crosses uh, the sea. No, a missionary is someone who sees the cross. A little flip on that language. But it's you see the cross. And you say, where I am, I'm going to shine for Jesus Christ right there. I'm going to influence for him right there. That is the first place, Jerusalem. And the disciples did a great job in Jerusalem. They started in Jerusalem. There, in the first seven chapters are them doing incredible ministry in Jerusalem. And ministry stayed in Jerusalem uh, throughout that time. But then he said, I want you to go regionally. I want you to go and to expand, a concentric circle out. So we start here, then we want to view, but God hasn't just placed us in the low country. You're not here by accident. You know that, right? You're here by the very divine, providential hand of God who has you here for a purpose to influence people for his kingdom right here. He brought you from other places of the country, most likely, uh, but he brought you here for a purpose. Recognize that, and it wasn't just to retire and lower your handicap and to raise your tennis number. I don't understand all that, but uh, he didn't bring you just for that. He said, I've got you here, now use your gifts here, and then go out from here, because we're citizens of this area, this is our home base, but beyond that, we're citizens of the United States of America. He said, that's your Judea and Jerusalem. Go out into your region, go out into your country, influence your country for Christ. And so we have strategic partnerships We usually partner with RUF, Reform University Fellowship. You've heard from many of our ministry partners who've come back in town and shared that we believe uh, that if the gospel is presented on on the campuses of Harvard and the University of Vermont and South Carolina and Anderson and College of Charleston and other places, that lives will be transformed, that there'll be change for the gospel of Jesus Christ and people can go out from there and expand the kingdom in their places of work, in their spheres of influence. But we also partner with church planting. Uh, We've helped now, uh, at least in financial partnership, to plant a church in the Columbia area. And we're a financial partner of a church outside of Boston. And so next week, you're going to get to hear from Sean Sawyer, a friend of mine, and tell us a little bit about how we, you, are planting a church outside of Boston. Did you know that? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Because we want to influence our region. We want to influence our Judea and Samaria. And then, he says, also go overseas. Go to the ends of the earth. And on the last Sunday of this month, we've got the Browns who are coming in, and they're going to Columbia, South America. 
And we partner with folks in Colombia uh, and in Japan and in, in Africa and in Europe and uh, in South America and Central America. We have partnerships on almost every continent because we believe that the vision and the mission of the church is to go even until the end of, uh, to the ends of the earth, that we're there. And it's only when we've completed Christ's mission that he's going to come back. And so we believe that we need to get busy about doing those things. Well, you go, well, this is awesome. That's good. Well, the people in Jerusalem, the first disciples said, this is good, and they got busy in Jerusalem. You know where the easiest place uh, to do ministry is? It's right here. Because it's safe. You look the same, you smell the same, you talk the same language, you, don't, you, know, you know, you got all that kind of stuff. And Jesus said, yeah, but I want you to go out. And sometimes he uses an impetus called persecution to move the church out. Sometimes when we're not about uh, Acts 1-8, Jesus gets about Acts 8-1. Acts 8-1 said this, and Saul, that would later become Paul, approved of the execution of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. He said this, folks, I really meant it when I wanted you to go out into the world. I didn't want you to stay comfortable. I didn't want you to stay just where you are with just your own people. I want you to go out. And at least in the early church and in churches all around in the history and the age of the church, we have seen him use persecution to move the church out. There's a video that we're going to be watching in the men's ministry, the lessons that I'm teaching. Uh, and there is an Eastern Bloc man, a believer, who says that he prays regularly for the Western church in America for persecution. He says the American church needs to wake up, and it needs to get motivated to go out. You recognize that we, as a country, have more missionaries coming to us than any other country in the world. Did you know that? That South Korea sends more missionaries to America than they do anywhere else in the entire world. We used to be the great sending place, and now we're the place like Europe that has lost our faith in so many ways. And so we need to keep sending, internal and going out. That's our, our mission is to go, and in that going, our mission is to be witnesses. He says, be my witnesses in Acts 1.8. Be my witnesses in Luke 24.48. And by that witnessing, it's a word of speaking of advocacy. Advocacy means that you are advocating for someone, speaking positively on their behalf, and you are also defending them. So part of our role in going on this mission that is from Christ is to be his advocate. Like I said, Lisa and I were advocates for Hilton Head yesterday at lunch. We were talking about Hilton Head. We were selling Hilton Head as it were. Jesus is saying, I want you to advocate for me. I want you to be able to present to the world around you my kingdom, my truth, these things about me. Speak on my behalf. Talk and witness to what has happened in your life. Witness to the truth of the gospel in the world around. Know how, much, how bad traffic is in Mount Pleasant so you can point it out as a negative. Know how bad things are within our world and say, look, you've lost hope. You're caught in this, uh, these broken promises. Let me introduce you to a king who presents and gives you these truths that he can be trusted in the midst of it. We advocate for him. We speak on his behalf. Because guess what, folks? Remember what happened at the end uh, here of chapter 1? Where is Jesus right now? Do you know where Jesus is right now? Not spiritually speaking, physically speaking. Do you know where he is? He's in heaven. By the way, that means heaven is spatial which kind of blows my mind metaphysically. Jesus, in physical body, is now in heaven. That he's gone. 
And so he said, guess what? I'm not advocating for myself anymore. I had three years of that. Now I've left and I'm leaving this to you. Now you're my advocates. Now you are my witnesses. Now you're telling people about me, but you're not only telling people about me. As parents, we advocate all the time for our children, don't we? We tell people how wonderful they are. We've got great sons. We've got great kids. This is awesome. And then when somebody says, you know, your kid's a knucklehead. Hey, you don't get to say that about my kid. Let me tell you about my kid. And we defend them, right? Second side of advocacy. And so we're to defend Jesus within the world. We're to understand so well the arguments that our culture is making against him that we can come in and engage them. That we can defend him and be able to say that this is the inerrant, inspired word of God. That we base our life upon it. That he did come and live. That the flood was real. That we were able to do those things. We defend Christ in that way. The big word is called apologetics. We want to create over the next couple of years uh, some opportunity for us to learn better how to advocate for Jesus, evangelism, apologetics, defending the faith to help train you so that you can be more equipped in the world to go out and do that. And he says, so on this mission, you're to go, you're to witness, and you're to make disciples. We're a gospel-centered community of disciple-making disciples. What we want to see, he says, and you're going to baptize them And you're going to teach them. Baptizing alludes to seeing non-believers come to faith. uh, Of seeing conversion within your ministry, your personal ministry. Of being engaged with non-believers enough that you can share the gospel with them in your life. That you're with them and around them. That we want to see them come to faith and to be baptized uh, as believers. And we want to teach them. You see, in order to teach, you must first know the material. Jesus said in the earlier Luke passage, said he opened their minds that they would understand the scripture. This book is essentially spiritual in nature. And to understand it fully, it takes the Holy Spirit. And so we pray and we go, God, help me understand your word. Help me know these things. So it's important that we would know these things. I'm not going to ask you by raising of hands, but how many of you could list all 66 books in order. If someone says, oh, you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you think that book is so important, there's 66 books in it. What are they? You can probably tell me the starting lineup for the Clemson Tigers, the Ohio State Buckeyes. You can tell me what the Dow Jones Industrial Average did on Friday. Uh, You can uh, let me know, I can let you know, the Tar Heels lost to North Carolina State yesterday and the starting lineup and all of those kind of things. I can tell you a lot of superfluous information because what that shows is those are the things that are most important to us. Jesus is saying, you've got to know these things so you can teach it, study it, know the stories, know the greater theology, be able to present it that you know the word. Presbyterianism used to be called people of the book. I hope that we can become that again. That we know this book so well. That we study it. That we devour it. There's some great tools uh, that are available for you if you want. And we'd be glad to share those with you. But it is now his ministry. He said the mission is from Christ. And then our example is from Christ. He said, this is the mission to go and to do these things, make disciples, teach in my name. And here's the example. Christ did not give us a new ministry. Uh, He did not design it and enact a new one for us. He gave us his existing ministry. 
We are not creating a new ministry. We are simply carrying on and carrying forward His ministry. And if that's the case, it would behoove us to go back and look at His ministry. What were some of the characteristics of His ministry? What did it look like? Uh, what were, who were the people that He hung out with? What was the message that He communicated? What were the very deep pillars and convictions that He had? So let's take just a moment and see uh, those, those looking at His ministry, which is continuing on through you. Remember, where is Jesus right now, physically speaking? He's in heaven. And so He said, I'm gone I am no longer here walking on this earth. I am leaving you now my ministry. I gave you three years to see it, to dissect it. I now have a Bible for you to see it in all of its beauty, to explain it. So now let's see. His was filled with powerful signs. He saw the dead raised. He saw the lame walk. He saw the the deaf hear. He saw the mute speak. He healed leprosy. He saw all kinds of incredible things happening. And you're going, yeah, I don't see that. Is that even a part of our current ministry? I would say, yes, it is. In this way, we still believe in the absolute power of God to do immeasurably more than we think or imagine. We may not see healings per se. We may not have seen the dead raised. But I know this. You can present your life as the most powerful sign to everybody who is around to say, look at my life and the change and the transformation that's happened in my life. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I was a slave and now I am free. There is a power within my life now because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And people can see within us that that this ministry that we have has powerful signs And our lives are those powerful, transformed pieces that the world sees. Here's a question for the church. Do they notice anything different about us? Do we look any different from the world around us? So often we don't. We party the same. We do business the same. Our marriages look the same. Our children look the same. What we watch looks the same. What we listen to looks the same. Everything looks the same. And yet we're coming to the world and saying, hey, come. Come into the kingdom that is totally different from this world. Powerful signs. Prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. His ministry was tethered to prayer to His Father. The Lord, that in the high priestly prayer, uh, that He prayed to the Father, that He regularly prayed uh, to the Father, that He said to the disciples, because you, you don't pray, you're not seeing these things happening. I saw it recently. Somebody said, you know, it takes just as much energy to worry as it does to pray, so let's get about praying. Take all the energy that we use for worry and anxiety and and turn it to say, Father, take this that that is so crazy over here and I'm giving it to you because I believe that you have power to do what you need to do. It says that they taught, that Jesus taught. There were powerful signs for his prayer. He was teaching. We know our word in theology. We've already talked about that. That he served. Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. He came to care for the needs. To deacon is that word. That he served and engaged with a marginalized group. That he overcame social and cultural norms of the day. He was with the social outcasts and the racial outcasts and the moral outcasts and the political outcasts. Think about his 12 who gathered around. There was a zealot who the Romans would have considered a terrorist. Trying to assassinate assassinate Roman leaders to try to overthrow a Roman government uh, of Jerusalem and of Israel, and so you have a zealot sitting with Matthew, the tax collector, who was a Jew who had sided with the Romans to take advantage of Jews. And Jesus said, "You guys, you're on the same team, on the same mission. Figure it out." 
We can't even get along with a Republican or a Democrat. We ask Washington to figure it out, and in the church, we won't figure it out. Jesus is saying it's not about politics and it's not about governments. They come and go. It's about my kingdom. And so we have to be with people who aren't like us, even politically speaking. I got to speak a couple of years ago at the Martin Luther King celebration at one of our churches on an Islander church. And I said, I come from a church that would ask, how in the world could a Democrat be a Christian? And I'm preaching in a church that would ask, how can a Republican be a Christian? I said, folks, we have a profound problem because we have stopped what we need to be doing. How about the moral outcast? I've asked you to do this before. Think of the greatest scoundrel that you can think of on the island, the person who is the biggest moral fail other than yourself uh, who is on the island. Do you associate with them at all? Or do you just look at them and go, gosh, can you believe what they did, what she did, what he did? Jesus went towards them. He engaged them. He went across racial lines. He went across all those people who say, I don't see color are lying. We see color. But what the gospel does is it diminishes the color. We say, I see color, but I am not going to allow the color of someone's skin to keep me from being with them. So we recognize it, but we recognize the power of the gospel that in Jesus there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. It breaks across everything. Jesus' ministry looked like that. The church should be a place where those of us who have moral failings, how many of you all have had a moral failing in your life this week? Keep them up. Bunch of legalists. The church has become a museum Oh, look at the McCutcheons. Don't they look wonderful today? Oh, the Smiths are looking particularly nice today. Oh, and oh, look at these folks. They just look great today. And so only people who look that way will come in. It's supposed to be a triage unit. It's supposed to be the place of greatest hope in the world. Where people who've had the most profound failings come limping and crawling into our welcome center and they are embraced, that they are loved because we recognize that's what Jesus' ministry looked like. That we live in community with folks who aren't like us. That's what Jesus' ministry looked like. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and Roman officials and recovering Pharisees and Pharisees. He ate with all kinds of folks. He had meals with them. Matthew, the tax collector, what was the very first thing that he did after he was converted? Anybody know? He threw a dinner party. How many of you like to enjoy dinner? All of you, right after this, are going to eat, I imagine. Matthew said this, hey, I just had this transformative engagement with Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite everybody that I know and all the people I know don't love Jesus. I'm going to invite them to hang out with the people that I just met, all the ones who do love Jesus. I'm going to throw a meal. We're going to gather around. Uh, In church circles, we call them Matthew's parties. Wouldn't it be great in 2019 if every member of our church committed to throw one Matthew's party this year? That in your home uh, or someone else's home, uh, that you... Uh, would invite non-churched, non-believers into your home along with some of your winsome Christian friends and you would invite them all together and you'd have a meal together. You live in community. I tell people this and I probably should be careful. Church people drive me crazy. (laughs) Believers within church are awesome. When Lisa and I left Memphis, 
The people that we heard from most were the non-church people that we engaged with, not the church folks. Folks, we have to live in community with folks around us who have those needs. Jesus did. i got to move quickly. We have to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 15 and 19, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost, uh, that we're going out and we're looking and seeking that, that he touched the lives of others. He was in such close proximity that he could touch a leper. He was in such close proximity that he could touch a, a woman who was in adultery. He was in such close proximity that he lived in that way and that he healed the sick and those. So here's the two questions for you as we finish that little part, that the example is from Christ. Would Christ recognize his ministries in your life? If Christ came, would he recognize his ministries in my life? Would he recognize his ministry in our church's life? Would he come and we said, hey, I'm a follower of yours, Jesus. He's out at the back. He's shaking hands. Hi, I'm Jesus. Welcome. Thank you for coming to my church today. And he looked at you and he said, tell me, tell me about your week last week. Tell me about your day. Tell me what you're going to be doing. Would he see in our lives, would he see in the corporate life of this church, would he see his ministry and be able to recognize it at all? That's incredibly convicting to me. It's incredibly challenging. Because if Jesus can't see his ministry in me, I doubt very much that anybody else can. He may be able to see religious activity, but does he see his ministry? And so we know that the mission came from him, and we know that the example is from him, but here's the good news. He gave us the power as well to accomplish what he's called us to do and showed us to do. The power comes from him. Jesus said, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. Wait in in." Jerusalem, he said to the apostles there and the disciples there, wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. By the way, we don't believe in a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Later on, for just some Christians, we believe that when you become a believer, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is that baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have the third person of the Trinity now residing in you. Isn't that incredible to think of? That the God of the universe has now descended upon you and taken up residency within you. The God of Israel that descended upon the tabernacle and descended upon the temple. The God who went out in power before the people when they were coming out of Egypt. The God who dropped down for Elijah and burned up the offerings on Mount Carmel. Uh, The God who is in this place in that way has now taken up residency in your life. You want to believe that you have power? Folks, recognize that. And it comes with one name and one name only, the name of Jesus. He says, you proclaim this name and the gates of hell shudder against it. Demons don't know what to do with it. The powers of this world cannot stand against it. That we've been given this power. John 14 says that you have him when he talks about I'm the true vine. And we are hooked to him as the branches now to the vine. His power is now pulsing through our lives. Paul said, regularly pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk. Don't be under the influence of anything else. But come and be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Pray regularly that it would be there. And believe that there's power in His name. I was raised by a man who believed in the power of Jesus' name. I've told you this story, but it just is a picture of how silly my dad uh, thought uh, uh, and in my mind. And how I look back and go, what a profound man of faith. Wedding day, 5 o'clock wedding at night. 1990 uh, Chevy Lumina, four-door, great car, except on that day and that day only uh, that when I stepped on the brakes, the horn honked. Drove around Charlotte, flying around, trying to get stuff ready for the wedding. 
and I'm driving around, and people are letting me know with one finger in particular how happy they are about my wedding day. Because I'm honking at them everywhere. I pull up into the driveway. I park the car. Dad comes out. Billy, what in the world is going on? I said, Dad, you won't believe it. I'm stepping on the brake. The horn's honking. i got to get married. This is our honeymoon car. What in the world? My dad, without blinking, put his hands on the hood of that car and said, Satan, get away from this car. In Jesus' name, leave this boy alone and leave this wedding and this marriage alone. It never honked again. Some of you go, that's just a pastor story. No, that is a true story. I would hope that those are always the same. But a believing in faith and believing in the power of God, he can heal your marriage. He can break the addiction that you have in your life. He can lead your sons or daughters to faith. He can do immeasurably more than you ever asked or imagined. He can work in the lives of your loved ones. He can work in the lives of your neighbors. He can do these things in His power because guess what? It took that exact same power to change your dead heart. That the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that is alive in you and it is the same power that can do that work and even more in somebody else's life. The question has to be, do you believe in that power? And if we believe in that power, we remove ourselves a little bit more. We say, God, I believe in faith that you can do this, and I'm going to step in to this place and believe that this will happen. Folks, there is power. You have that power. You do not go out in weakness. You go out in strength. Because the Lord of the universe says this, take courage, for I'm with you. You have my name. You have my very being in you. You have my mission. You've seen the perfect picture of my son. Now go. Let's do it together. Let's pray.